0: first time I recorded with him, you know, with sitting in the headphones in the studio and then hearing Bob's voice in my headphones was, was a bit, it was a quite a surreal moment. I think I'm the only person probably who's ever worked in Eric's band who's actually left his band. Eric disbands bands, he has a band for a while and then he sort of moves on and yeah, I had to leave to rejoin Dire Straits.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now on today's show I spoke with a man who has worked with some of the biggest names in the business. Alan Clark. He's the third member of Dire Straits I've interviewed here on Vintage Rock Pod, following John Illsley twice and Pick Withers. Now, Alan joined the band as their first keyboard player. Before that, it was just Mark and David Knopfler on guitar, with John on bass and Pick on the drums. And Alan remained part of the band right until their final gig in 1995. He won a ton of awards with them, played on the iconic Brothers in Arms album, played at Live Aid and headlined the Nelson Mandela concert and was inducted with the into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which makes him the third Rock and Roll Hall of Famer we've had here on the show in just the last five episodes. But Alan is certainly much more than just his time with Dire Straits. He's worked with, recorded with, and toured with legends like Eric Clapton, Tina Turner... Bob Dylan, Brian Johnson of ACDC, Rod Stewart, Van Morrison, George Harrison, the Bee Gees. Honestly, so many big names, it goes on and on, it's ridiculous. So I can't wait for you to hear him tell his stories on this show. But quickly, before that, I just want to give a couple of shout-outs to some listeners for their recent feedback. Grant Hamilton, James Bosch, Charles Ngamalai, Gerrit Van Hecker, Pods Like Us, Craig Ising, Albert Peters, and Kevin Williams. It's so great to hear from you all and interact with you all. If you haven't already, please do check out Vintage Rock Pod on all the social media platforms. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod pretty much anywhere and you'll find me. And also don't forget to hit subscribe to the podcast series on whatever podcast app or platform that you're listening to this one on too. So, without the way, let's hear from Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Alan Clark. As well as a number of other former Dire Straits members, he's currently playing with Dire Straits Legacy, playing all the great songs from the Straits Back catalogue. So, you're going to hear about that, his recent solo album, and of course, some stories about those fantastic people he has worked with. So, here he is, Alan Clark. And you've been very busy recently, which is always fantastic to hear. And you've got something very exciting coming up soon as well. You've got an exciting gig coming up at London's Indigo O2 Arena as part of Dire Straits Legacy. So let's go back to the, to the beginning of Dire Straits Legacy and just explain a little bit about how this band formed and how it all came together.
0: Um, I got an invitation from a, um, an Italian gazer to play on a ski mountain in Italy. This was in like about 10 years ago. Uh, in the Dolomites in, in Italy in December and to play dire straits tunes on top of a ski mountain and i thought it was such a wacky idea and then john ilesley my um uh, dire straits colleague bass player he, he he'd he been invited too so i liaised with him and we said yeah it sounds like a hoot let's 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 give it a go and um and it was a, it, we, we, had a we had a great weekend and um and long story short fast forward to now we're we're um the band is um, seven, seven or eight strong, and we have like usually have four Straits members in it. We have um, myself, Phil Palmer, Mel Collins, um, Danny Cummins, uh, Jack Sonny. Occasionally, um, we've, we've got Trevor Horn on bass, and uh, and we 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 occasionally have Steve forney who played with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and loads of other people. Um, on drums so um, it's quite a band.
1: So yeah incredible lineup of musicians that are involved and it's an incredible back catalogue of music that you get to play as well isn't it?
0: Well exactly I mean the Dire Straits music catalogue is, is, um, is, is uh, really good to play and you know I spent about 20 years probably more not playing it and so when the invite came to play it it was like yeah it'd be good to revisit that maybe and we just have a ball basically it's a fun band that turned into, I guess, a bit more than a fun band, but we, we still do it for their for the enjoyment more than anything else. So.
1: Yeah, fantastic stuff. And like we said, that, that gig at the London's Indigo 02 Arena, it's on July the 1st. I believe there's still a couple of tickets left, a few tickets available if people want to head down. So mm. definitely, definitely worth checking that out, isn't it?
0: Sure, yeah. It's going to be good. Our first time in, in, in England, actually. We just played in ah. Brazil. We just did wow. three weeks in Brazil, which was uh, d- playing to, you know, like really good crowds and um, had a great time there. And then we played just before that, we played in Poland. Before that, we played in, in Lazio's um, uh, football stadium in Italy a few weeks before that. So, yeah, it's um it- which is busy there
1: Absolutely. And something else you were busy with last year, the, the album came out, it was a, a solo piano album, wasn't it? It was called Backstory. And this is a, a collection of songs that you've been involved with throughout your incredible career. And there's some incredible songs on there. So let's t- let's think about that for a second. I mean, where did the idea come from for, for the album to begin with?
0: I was invited to play on a piano festival in Milan. So this would be about three years ago. And... Um, I've never, I've never done solo piano work before. I've always hidden behind uh, loads of keyboards in a band. <laughs> and at first I, I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I was persuaded by my wife and by another couple of people to do it. And, and once I got my head into it and, uh, and did it, I quite enjoyed it. So I thought, okay, this could be good. And then I got an invite to, to make a record from an Italian um, record company. Uh, and and they wanted me to do the the play, play tunes from my from my backstory basically so that's what we did that's what I did and uh, I recorded it at real world studios which is peter gabriel studios in just outside of bath yep and um, I had two bosendorfer pianos to choose between and um yeah it's That's it. Here we are. There it is.
1: (laughs) And there it is indeed. Yeah, it's a wonderful piece of artwork as well, which adorns the front cover of it, which is fantastic. Now, the the album itself, it's it's 10 tracks. Now, when you look back at the the legacy you have left behind and the incredible artists you've worked with, how did you come to choosing just those 10? I mean, what Um, was the criteria behind the selection of songs?
0: They're just ones that were kind of, that I just felt like playing, basically. I mean there' was, there, was, there was some diet straight I wouldn't want to try and play money for nothing for instance on a solo piano I mean it's possible but you know <laughs> uh, so it's it's kind of tunes that are kind of suited to I guess my style of piano playing on um, so I guess that's the that's the answer to that
1: and and songs that you get to to because you, you do change the the arrangement slightly don't you and you change the feel of the songs as well
0: oh yeah I, I, I just change the approach completely to make them more interesting on, on solo piano hopefully more interesting should I say <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah they're wonderful absolutely wonderful now we have to discuss some of the songs in there and we'll, we'll talk about some of the people that obviously you've worked with throughout your incredible career and, but we'll start with Dire Straits because that seems to make sense doesn't it you you joined the band um, uh, was it 1980s early 80s wasn't it and you were with them right through until they, they finally disbanded in the mid 90s so you were with them for a very long period of time now how did that all come about how did you manage to join the band because you were the first uh, keyboard player weren't you with Dire Straits
0: I was well the they needed a keyboard player. They they were an old guitar band before that. And um, they needed a keyboard player. And so they asked around and my name popped up because we had a mutual acquaintance. I'd been playing with Galgan Lyle. um, I'd made a record and and did a couple of tours with them. And that that was the connection really. So um, I went along to the rehearsal uh, in London and, 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 Never came back,
1: really. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Now, we've had uh, John Ilsey on the show a couple of times. He's spoken to Pick Withers as well. So it's, it's nice to have you on, Alan, to, to talk about some of your stories from dire straits. And uh, one of the big ones I'd like to hear about is, uh, is Live Aid. I mean, how was that as an experience and how was that as a day?
0: It was a pretty amazing day because um, besides p- playing Live Aid in the afternoon, we were actually doing a, a run of 10 or 12 shows at, in Wembley, Wembley uh, Arena which was the adjoining adjoining building, that's the, the indoor venue. So we played we played Live Aid. And, um, yeah, so I woke up in, a, in an apartment in, in Bayswater in London and switched on the TV because we'd just played the night before. So I, I probably got to bed at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. So at 9.30 or whatever time Live Aid started, I put the TV on and watched the opening of Live Aid, the first couple of acts while I was in bed having a cup of tea and then having breakfast. And I jumped in the car and drove up thinking, allowing myself a good two hours to get there. But I got there in about half an hour because um, I presumed that the streets were going to be round with people going up there. But of course, everybody was in by then. So the, it was quite deserted, really. And and it was a beautiful day, just like today is actually really warm. And, um, and as I was driving up, I had the windows open and I could hear live aid happening in everyone's houses on the way up. And people had them, people were in the garden with speakers and stuff like that. So yeah, it was a good day. And then um, after we performed, I think we went on about six o'clock, played for about forty minutes or so, and then as soon as we came off stage, we walked across the car park to Wembley Arena to to, to Wembley Arena, and then um, uh, had dinner. Went on stage at eight thirty, and um, played another two-hour, 20-minute two hour, show or whatever it was.
1: <laughs> Phenomenal stuff. And did you get a chance to, to hang out backstage with, with many of the other artists that were there on the day?
0: Yeah, there was loads of people. I mean, I can't remember. <laughs> it was a long time ago, so I can't remember. <laughs> what it was, but, you know, I mean, you know, we, we bumped into all sorts of people. And, of course, Queen were on just after us. And as we were walking across the car park, we heard Queen starting up, and that, that was Queen's greatest performance I mean, our road crew who were, who were dissembling our gear were absolutely blown away by Queen, just how great they were. And I've seen, of course, I've seen the, their performance since on, on video, and it was um, pretty damn good.
1: <laughs> pretty damn good indeed. And just talking about your time in Dire Straits, I mean, what was what was your favourite album you worked on then with the band?
0: Favourite album? Um, I don't know if I've got a favourite, but, I mean, Love Over Gold was the first one I did, the first studio album I did with Dire Straits. And um, so there's a lot of lot of me on that, really, piano and stuff. So um, that's pretty good. Private Investigations is, if, when people ask what's my favourite Dire Straits, tune, it's probably Private Investigations. Um, I enjoyed making uh, Brothers in Arms. because we made it in, in the Caribbean island of Montserrat. Yes. So we were in Montserrat for two and a half months, I think. So that was um, good fun. And um, the album, of course, did extremely well. So, um, yeah, maybe a toss-up between those two, really.
1: And what I like about Dire Straits, even though the the band broke up a couple of times, but ultimately, again, in the the mid-90s, everyone seems to, on the whole, have remained friends. And you all kind of get on afterwards, don't you? You've all worked with each other in various capacities since, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen Mark for a while, but um, we keep, uh, yeah, we, we all keep in touch. And this, this Dire Straits legacy is a good way of, um, of doing exactly that and, pl- and playing together. You could have rocked it along, actually, but you know <laughs> yeah,
1: that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, and so, some of the tracks that you chose from Dire Straits on your album Backstory, Romeo and Juliet is probably my favourite song of the band. Um, Brothers in Arms and Love Over Gold as well. So, so why those three out of the whole catalogue? You could have chosen uh,
0: for for the same reason, basically, because they 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 suit solo piano,
1: really. Yeah stuff. And um, just someone else to talk about. Um Tina Turner. We're just we're throwing names around. Uh, Private Dancer, huge song for her. And it's 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 not that well known that it was actually a song that Dire Straits worked on, wasn't it? That you guys had planned for an album.
0: Yeah, we it was one of the songs we recorded for the Love of a Gold album. But um, we which we, we did record it, and um, and but it sounded a bit weird, Mark singing it because it's sung from a female <laughs> point of view and um well i guess i don't know if mark was serious about putting it on the album or not I, I, I really don't know but um it didn't go on for that reason and then tina turner took it up and it was a big hit for her so and that that was my introduction to tina i actually met tina um when i was running through that song in in a studio uh she walked in as we were just sort of doing the run through and that was my first meeting with tina and um That lasted for uh, quite a few years afterwards because I became her musical director and um, did work with her and all sorts of things.
1: And what was she like to work with then? I mean, because she she seems a real force of nature, doesn't she, when she's on stage and and we see her as this huge, huge, huge figure and a huge presence. And what was she like to work with then?
0: Tina is everything you would hope she she would be. And even more, she's just a beautiful human being. A great performer. Takes everything really seriously. Um, yeah, really good. A, a very fond memory of Tina was um, we, we, we were touring in, um, in the U.S. We were in, um, in um, Memphis. And there's a famous old hotel there called uh, the Peabody Hotel. And she grew up in Nutbush, which is a, a, a suburb of Memphis. And when she was growing up, she wasn't allowed in this hotel because she was black. And that was the first time she'd been back there and she was, and her album was creeping up the charts or it was maybe it was already number one in in America when we went. And so we, um, when we arrived there, she said, Alan, come and come and sit with me in the foyer, in the lobby of the hotel. As soon as we went in there, and um, she ordered a bottle of crystal champagne and sat there soaking up the the glory of being in the the peabody hotel
1: brilliant stuff Mm. brilliant stuff and somebody else to mention is, is bob dylan i mean he's another absolute legend isn't he and you worked with him on was it the infidels album
0: i did the infidels album and then i happened to be in new york when he was recording the next album which was empire burlesque and um i happened by the studio and um, he says, oh, well, I'll come and play on some tracks. So I played on his second, his, his next album as well, which is nice.
1: But wow, incredible.
0: I played on every track on, I think every track on, um, on Infidels, yeah. yeah.
1: Wonderful. And what was that like working with him then?
0: I mean, I, I was a fan of Bob. I, a few years before that, I, I recall sitting, lying on my apartment floor, listening to his Desire album night after night, um, endlessly. So... The first time I, um, the first time I recorded with them, but you know, with sitting in the headphones in the studio and then hearing Bob's voice in my headphones was was a bit was a quite a surreal moment. But you know, all these people, all these stars are just human beings who are extraordinarily extraordinarily talented, and when they're not singing, they're just human beings like like everyone else, and obviously. And um, he and I just got on really well. We played pool, and um, he's a pretty good pool player, actually. I have to say, I let him beat me.
1: Oh, of course, of course. (laughs) And there's a couple of those songs on on the the Backstory album as well, isn't there? So we included them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: and uh, someone else just to mention uh, it's just throwing all these names out here Eric Clapton Um, you spent a long time with him and I think he'd said that it was probably the most fun time of your career wasn't it working with Eric in the band
0: I think if I had to say where I had the most fun in a band it would be with Eric yes Eric used to come along during the Brothers in Arms tour and watch us on stage and he quite often used to stand at the side of the stage on my side of the stage so he would be kind of seeing me first Yeah, so um and then and then a couple of years after that he uh, i got a phone call one day and he said and it was Eric, and he said would you like to join my band and i thought about it for about two seconds maybe (laughs) and said yes of course i mean i was tied up with i was working with tina turner at the time and so i had had to balance the two basically but i ended i i managed to keep on uh, i was Tina's musical director but I I said to Tina look I can't come on tour with you but I can help you get your band together and rehearse them so I did that I I would go to Los Angeles and spend a month rehearsing the band and then say right goodbye occasionally drop in on them in, in Europe or wherever they were and it was an interesting time
1: Interesting indeed. And and during your time with Eric he, he you well, you guys produced the album Journeyman and I think Eric has publicly stated that that was probably his favorite album of his own. So that that's fantastic to hear as well, isn't it, for you?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he said that in an interview. So that was quite quite a pleasing
1: and again it's the same sort of question i mean what was eric like to work with in the studio is he very demanding is he quite laid back does he let you get on with what you do sort of thing
0: eric never ever gave any suggestion about anything musically it was totally just do your own thing and same on the album Uh, the the producer was russ teitelman who i met for the first time then and um be, we we became friends, still are, and uh, so and I've done other, other bits and bobs for him uh, after that, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a great period.
1: And um, your your time kind of came to an end, didn't it, with Eric when when Dire Straits decided to get back together, and you, you said that was a a difficult decision for you to make, wasn't it?
0: I think I'm the only person probably in who's ever worked in Eric's band who's actually left his band, whereas yeah. uh, occasionally Eric's, Eric disbands bands. He has a band for a while. And then he sort of moves on. And I think he's kind of settled now into into a band. Unfortunately, he hasn't included me, but um, you never know. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah, I had to I had to leave to um, to rejoin Dire Straits and co-produce the On Every Street Record.
1: And, um, and during that time, I mean, I spoke to John Ilseley and he said that the, the touring was just kind of, it was gruelling, wasn't it? It was difficult because dire straits were so big and the tours all over the world were so difficult. I mean, what do you remember of those sorts of gruelling tours?
0: I remember we got we got to uh, somewhere and um, I think it was in Belgium and the um, there was a problem with the stage so we couldn't play the show and it was... Which was a disappointment, but at the same time, it was like, great, it's a night off. (laughs) I think we did 20 shows back to back. It might have been even more, actually. In fact, I just read today, I was just having a glance through part of John Leslie's book, and I think he said 30 shows in a row without, you know, without a break. And that's crazy. I mean, we're we're talking about playing to huge crowds. I think we had three stages, like, being built because the stages were so big they had to have three because it took so long to construct them. And then, you know, we were talking about in big football stadiums and things. So as, as we were playing on one, there would be two more being constructed ahead of us so we could just keep going and madness.
1: And we talk about Dire Straits' legacy, the band that you're in now. I mean, the legacy of the band itself, and that the fans that are still out there, the fans are still as fervent as ever. And you see it on social media and things like that. It's incredible that the music that left behind and the, the the work that you guys produced is still so loved today, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I mean, I think we have been starved of it, really. I mean, there, there are lots of uh, Dire Straits cover bands, but uh, we we are kind of like as close as you're going to get to the real thing, really. So. Um, yeah, I think people have been starved of the music, so it was it was a revelation to us that um, how how welcoming the, the crowds were. I mean, after that gig in, on top of the, the the ski mountain in Italy, we played um, we played in a nightclub, I think, in in Rome, and then um, the gig after that we played outdoors, and and um, people say there was ten thousand people there came along. to to see to see us in 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 Italy, which is so we thought, well, oh, well, this is um, this might be worth um, continuing, you know, and so we, we and here we are in 2022 <laughs> years <laughs> later, and I'm still doing it.
1: Still doing it indeed. And then just a reminder that tickets are still available for your gig at the London's Indigo O2 Arena, which is July the 1st. So get a move on, get your tickets and, and get down for a great night of music. Well, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I wish you all the best for, for the future and uh, hopefully catch up with you again soon in the future. All right. Good chatting to you, mate. And a big thank you to Alan for joining me there. If you're in the London area, and I know there's lots of listeners in London, then definitely check out that Dire Straits Legacy gig. A great night of great music played by members of Dire Straits. And uh, also give Alan's solo album, Backstory, a listen as well. It's got a really nice reimagining of a collection of big songs that he's been involved with throughout his career. And you can find that on the usual streaming sites, or you can purchase the actual physical copy on the usual outlets as well right now is the time for the top fives and as i've already done dire straits having had a couple of members on from the band already this week i'm going to go with the person that alan was the musical director for yes the legend that is tina turner it's songs from across her what 60 year career or so but remember this is my personal choice highly subjective i don't expect you to agree in fact i'd love to hear how you disagree so please reach out with your own top fives this week too so here you go my top five favorite Tina Turner songs, according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a Phil Spector produced track, and one Tina says he made her sing 500,000 times before he was happy with her vocals. What a song it is, though. Didn't make a dent in the US at the time of release, but was a big hit in Europe, including reaching number three in the UK in 1966. My number five is River Deep, Mountain High. F four is the theme song from Mad Max 3, a big building ballad with a huge crescendo. Released in 1985, it brought Tina a new army of fans and became a big hit around the world. And number four is We Don't Need Another Hero. We don't need another hero. At three is Tina's only number one single in the US and it scooped three Grammy Awards as well. It was the fifth single released from her private dancer album from 1984. At three is What's Love Got To Do With It? number two is a cover version of a credence clearwater revival track but she absolutely owns it a huge fan favorite recorded in 1970 with ike and re-recorded again in 1993 number two for me is proud mary And at number one is another song from the Ike and Tina days, a semi-autobiographical song that she wrote about her hometown. Released in 1973, it was another big hit in the UK, reaching number four. I just love the driving beat behind this one. And number one, and my favourite Tina Turner track is... Nutbush City Limits. Here we go, my top five songs from Tina Turner. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Would you agree or disagree? Let me know by email. Email me at vintagerockpod at gmail.com or catch me on any of the social media platforms. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did, please hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on so you don't miss any more future big interviews or the new daily This Day Rock Shows which is a short five-minute daily release that looks back on something big that happened on that day in the history of rock. If you haven't checked those out yet, then please do so. More big name interviews are heading your way though. I've been stacking up the interviews these last few weeks. They're coming on future shows so I'm looking forward to bring them to you soon. That's it for me on this episode though. Remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care.